Hey, everybody, and hello to Sean Gentilly. Hi. I am Craig Custance. Oh, hi, Sean. Sean and I are coming off. Well, I don't want to say it's a bender because for me, you have to be somewhere more than I was only in Montreal for like a day and a half. But it was a bender because then I went to Vegas for NBA Summer League. Sean put in the full, did the full NHL draft experience in Montreal. It was. It was good to see everybody, but now we have to somehow find the energy. Because, by the way, huge free agency is happening all around us. We're all acting like, congratulations, everyone. We did We're it. Done. The draft Mission is over. Accomplished. Happy summer. See you at the I cottage. I don't think it occurred to me that I was going to have to write about free agency until <laughs> about 36 hours ago when I had 8,000 words of work. Sean just tweeted out 8,000 words on Team's Cap scenarios. <laughs> so if you're wondering how the Preds are looking. Wait a second. I have to do this and I have heartburn and I'm, and I'm just from eating nothing but smoked meat and hot dogs for, <laughs> and for five days and drinking and working almost literally, literally nonstop. I was like, wait a second. I, I have, that's right. I have more work I have to do. Did you when know? Do markets, like- when do the markets open? It's in like, it's in like 29 hours. Yeah, we're close, and it should be uh, fast and furious, and 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 a lot of fun. And we'll get to that. We've got Pierre LeBrun on again, another person we get to spend some time with over the last few days. Uh, he's going to break down the latest, and hopefully, we can turn it fast enough so that you all can listen to this before some of the things that Pierre predicts actually happen. Also, producer Jeff is just cramming and guests uh, hard at work in our in our second to last episode of the season. Paul Maurice. Head coach of your Florida Panthers. Um, How many times like, have you almost referred to him as head coach of the Jets? He was there for so long that it's just like I've turned the page. It's like it's I, heavy. I only okay. think of him with the Panthers. Like when I picture Paul Maurice, he bleeds, he bleeds sunrise Panthers. red or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a color? Do they have a color? <clears throat> what's I, what's the be, the, it's victory it's green like, in Dallas? Vic, yeah, victory. I guarantee it's like sunrise red. And pineapple and whatever. <laughs> so if we're slap happy and tired, it's only because we uh, enjoyed seeing each other so much. Sean and I only got in one massive fight in person. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't a fight. We were yelling at each other. Hmm? Brothers, ye- brothers yell at each other sometimes. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> it was great. Let's start with a story close to you in Pittsburgh. Um, Evgeny Malkin and the Penguins. If, from what I could tell, they chose Ricard Raquel over Evgeny Malkin. Is that is that what's happening there? And now, what, where do we see? This is fascinating. I love I love when stuff like this happens because we, we should say by the way changes the flavor. Say, by the way, that Pierre could cannonball in here at any at any moment and will. Oh yeah, be ready any moment. Um, we we're hoping. Okay, actually. so so my so my thought, and this is. And it, call it an educated guess because whatever it, it, it happened it happened last night I think that they were I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were caught off guard by Malkin saying by the Malkin camp saying yesterday like we're going to market and that's it yeah and I, I don't think they anticipated that happening I really think that they underestimated how upset he was and how hurt he was by by the way this had gone and I thought they're gonna and I think they thought they were gonna be able to squeeze him when they find out mm. yesterday that he's going to hit the market. Do I think that the Raquel thing was a, was like a direct response to that? Like, 
maybe and it, it might have been uh, it might have been i don't know if it was spite but i would i would definitely say there was probably an element of uh, panic where you're like okay like we might have more money than we anticipated here yeah what do we do with it but i i still think they i think that they think that they can move Marcus patterson or someone off the left side of that defense whether it's him or brian dumlin each of them makes about four million dollars they have a ready-made replacement in P.O. Joseph to come in and play on, on the left side. I think they think that if push came to shove and they needed to create space for whatever reason, that they could move one of those guys. And I think that that's why you're seeing publicly, like, you know, I, I know, I know Pierre, Pierre reported it there. Like the, the team doesn't think that they're out on Malkin. And I think part of the reason mm-hmm. is, is because they think that they can, because that because they can create space, but yesterday to me was about. It, it, it seems like it was more about them getting maybe not caught flat-footed, but at least at least surprised a little bit unpleasantly, and then trying to figure out how to save some face with some of the money that freed up that they probably weren't anticipating. Because he because he's he's like he's upset, right? and I and I and I don't think, yeah. I don't think that uh, I don't think the front office like quite understood. The ramifications of how upset he was, which is like it looks like it looks like it's over. Like he's and he and he is well, he's a pr- he's a pr- he's a proud guy and he and he's and he's proud enough to you know say all right see you later if he if he sincerely felt like he was he was being disrespected w- with that whether it was three years or four years or or whatever the final offer might turn out to be. I hope they're all subscribers to the Athletic because Rob's piece. If you weren't, yeah, if the alarm bells weren't ringing about yeah. where this was headed with Malkin and the mm-hmm. Penguins, he wrote a story over the weekend. It was basically mm-hmm. Malkin wondering, do they even want me on the team? And I'm like, look, I'm no contract negotiating expert, but that's not a good. When that's when that's what, what when that's the vibe coming from the other side of the table, from yeah. either side of the table, really. And like, and like, you know, I, then the question turns into like, how much did did Ron Hextall and Brian Burke actually want Evgeny Malkin? Like right. they, yeah, they tried, but like this could be a and that and that's and that's not an not an invalid course of action if you look at him just as a as a hockey player and you strip out the meaning of of getting right. Malkin to that franchise or whatever. I don't know if I would want to play if you put a bag over that guy's head and said and and showed me his injury history and showed me yeah. the way the, the way things had gone the last four years or the last last few years for him. I I don't think I would want to pay him six million dollars a year for four years either. But that's that that's not that's not quite the case, right? And so, like, isn't that the advantage? And we've talked a bit about this of having GMs that have no emotional ties to the championship mm-hmm. years, where they can actually make the cutthroat decision here and say, "This is yeah. we're still trying to win here. We're not we're not rewarding uh, players for success from five years ago." This isn't we- the th- this isn't the body of work contract that maybe they maybe think it is going to be. And those never work out, by the way. I've, I'm here never. in Detroit where I've lived some of those. Um, watch them. Watch them just age horribly, the reward deals. I, I think the the best argument for them signing Malkin for doing a more player, whatever, kind of maybe not giving him what he wants, but coming over to his side a little bit more. I think the best the best possible argument for that is that because of the way they've approached this, because of you know the moves that they've made, even whether even with its record, even whether even whether it's, if it's with Ricardo Kell or, or, yeah. or Brian Rust or who's not a kid, he's he's thirty, he's almost thirty years old. In three years, it might not matter anyway. Like so, if if you're if right. you're if you're paying one legged of Genny Malkin for one more year at thirty nine instead of thirty eight. 
like I don't I, I think it turns I think it turns into splitting hairs. So like yeah. so, so so you're so you're I, I that would be the correct course of actions is if you just accept wholly the four years from now that team is that team is toast. But but does Evgeny Malkin, even if he's on borrowed time, give them the best chance to win a cup in the next two or three years? And I think there's a very compelling argument that he does. Pierre LeBrun's name has popped onto our screen. Anything? How is that possible? I, th- I, th- I thought he huh? was going to cannonball in. Say something. You thought he would just start 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 talking? I don't. He didn't even turn his screen on. Did he just started? Because he's a pro. He hears us. He hears us in the middle of a thing. His, his screens hey, on because his screens on because right. he's, he's not wearing a TV makeup, baby. Is that why? I think so. Uh, I'm, I'm at the cottage and uh, I uh, I haven't shaved yet. I'll shave before I go on TSN later today. But until I get back to the city, there will be no video of me. That's wow, Pierre. I've seen you unshaved. It's not that bad. I, I like don't be so hard on yourself. Wait. So what's what's the time? <laughs> okay. So so this is ten oh six that we're recording. Like, what's the time frame here? Like, like I I, I, well, as soon I as we're done, truly I truly appreciate you being every second. Okay. Uh, as soon as we're done, I get in the car, drive to Toronto. Should take about two hours and twenty minutes from the cottage, and then uh, keep working the phones, and then uh, insider trading airs at the top of her show on Sports Center around six. Cottage address. Cottage address, of course, by the way, is one one two two Bogey Wogey Avenue. As, as yeah, we're the cottage that that um, we talk about every episode, Pierre. It looks great <laughs> from here, and that and the zoom camera off. Yeah, it's go. a beautiful place, Pierre. Please tell us. There what's is going so much on. going on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just I don't like. I'm looking at the list of names, and like we, you know, we've talked about. Uh, we already just talked about Malkin and there's all these, you, the, the goalie situation and what in the world are the Blackhawks doing? And then you're like, oh yeah, one of the best American players right now and Johnny Goudreau <laughs> is out there. Oh, and a guy who just won a cup and Nazem Kadri. Like it's, there's, it seems way more interesting this year with legit players up for grabs. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I mean, again, it, 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 there is depth there i think there's still mm-hmm. also a recipe for disaster in terms of overpaying and and getting too much term to some of the older free agents so uh, i mean this is honestly a day tomorrow where more mistakes are made than any other day on the angel calendar for a gentleman right but um the reality is you got ownership breathing down your neck and uh you're forced into decisions that is the reality of it and so it'll be fascinating from that perspective you know, obviously, you start with Johnny Goudreau. I mean, he's had an eight-year offer sitting uh, on his lap for six weeks from Calgary. Yeah. And a pretty significant offer. Uh, one that I believe the Flames have been willing to to improve over the last week. But how much is too much? I mean, how much mm-hmm. more money can Calgary justify paying Johnny Goudreau if, he, if he's, in fact, willing to sign than what Nashville gave Philip Forsberg? Even with the tax, different tax situations involved, you know, Forsberg at 8.5, is, can you pay Johnny Goudreau 10.5, 11 million? Mm. I mean, I that guess you theoretically like can, but that's a lot. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Mine, maybe 10 would be my walk away. Right. If uh, you're, I, and like even from, from, a, from a more player, from the player end of things, like if, if you're Johnny Goudreau, like, how much money could you even realistically, how much more could you expect them to realistically tack on? Because you're what almost less than you're a little bit more than 24 hours away from losing, you know, losing the eighth year. 
which is just right. that that's the that's a, that's such a huge variable to me so like i, I don't know like you would think and I know this has been hard for him. Like I, I've I've heard enough to know that I'd, it really does seem like Gaudreau is Gaudreau is struggling with this. But like, I, it, it at some point, if you're him, you think he would say like, "All right, this just isn't." Then right. you would move on and just say that say that this isn't going to happen because at some point the number just gets just gets untenable, especially for the Flames who are in an insanely complicated situation themselves. When you look at the nine million dollar QO from Matthew Kachuk and all the mm. questions that have always swirled around what the next phase in his career is going to be like the the flames have major have it's it's a catch-22 because everything they do hinges on johnny gaudreau but also johnny gaudreau's decision might hinge on on, on other stuff that goes on there too like it's that situation is just un, un, unbelievably complex yeah there's no doubt that matthew kachuk and his newport sports are sitting back and waiting to see what happens on the johnny gaudreau front before they respond to Calgary. You know, he's RFA, not UFA. It's different. But at the same time, he he essentially has a decision to make this summer, which is do I sign long-term with the Flames or do I force a one-year bridge to UFA, which could force other things. So, so yeah, there is a domino effect to this whole Johnny Goudreau situation. And, and I guess if you're Johnny Goudreau this morning, you know, you're thinking hard about how your teammates in Calgary are, are pleading with you to sign and stay. And there's more money on the table in Calgary than there'll be anywhere else, solely because of the eighth year in terms of total dollars. Yeah, total dollars. But yeah. on the other hand, are you hoping that your hometown Flyers uh, clear some cap room in the next 24 hours? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, New Jersey seems like the the obvious one, right? In terms of having the space and the need and the yeah. money. Yep, there, I think they're a possibility. I think Seattle, which makes less sense geographically. I mean, if Johnny Goudreau was going to mm. stay west, you'd think it'd be Calgary. But I think Seattle yeah. intends on being a big player tomorrow in one one way or another. I mean, maybe it's oh wow, maybe it's as I tweeted yesterday. Maybe it's more on John Klingberg. Mm-hmm. Maybe John Klingberg ends up in Seattle, but I think I mm. can want to make some noise tomorrow. They were one of those teams yesterday that, that, that you saw, even on the margins, just saving money with QOs, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't offer they didn't offer Ryan Donato, they didn't offer Hayden Flurry. That's three extra million potentially. You, 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 they were yeah. hard on Kevin Fiala, so I always say mm-hmm. try to connect dots when you when you know those things. So Seattle will be interesting, but yeah, I think Philly, New Jersey. I mean, uh, was it Kevin Kurz? I wrote a piece for the Athletic on yeah. yep. on Lou Amarello being a sneaky player on. Yep. And Johnny Goudreau. The one thing I'll say there is that Lou Amrello and the agent, Louis Gross, have done a lot of deals together over the years. So there is mm-hmm. a relationship there. But uh, the Islanders don't have that much cap room. So I don't know how that would happen. But you know, teams are yeah, great. Yeah, they have, they have no, they have, they have no, then at some point, a Noah Dobson extension probably to worry about too. There's, but there's, yeah, there's not a ton that's on their plate. I, cause I, I read what I read what Curry's wrote yesterday and, it does make a lot of sense because if they need to, if they need to clear space, even considering, you know, whatever Dobson then ends up getting, you know, there's, there's, there's the potential to, to clear there. That's the, that is, that is super interesting. Are there anything to consider between now and midnight Eastern? And we have really not seen this very often or, or if ever, I can't remember now, but <laughs> I know we've talked about it often, but is whether if the flames at some point today think that their last efforts just aren't going to do it, on Johnny Goudreau, do they s- try to trade his rights to what they perceive to be the front runner, so mm-hmm. that that team before midnight can sign him to an eight-year deal? So, that, so that's the only thing. But we've talked about this before, and it, it just doesn't seem to happen. I mean, 
you know, it, it would have really benefited the Leafs years ago to trade for John Tavares the night before. Yeah. And get him and lower the AV over eight years. Lower, lower the hit. Yeah. Um, but it didn't happen. And I can probably see why, given the dynamics, Lamrell on one side and, and Cal Dubas on the other. But but that's, I guess, even if it's a low-end proposition, something else to file away for, for tonight. Arthur Staple just tweeted out that the Rangers are out on Andrew Kopp. And we thought, you know, no coincidence that that, that happens right after Evgeny Malkin, you know, shakes free. <laughs> the Rangers... You know they they now have a they have a need a, a down the middle, um, and I, you know Malkin's an interesting one because we you still wonder how, if the Penguins are completely done there and and how much of this is hurt pride and and where is a good spot for him? What where do you, how do you see this playing out? I, this is the fascinating one to me. Yeah, I mean, first as far as the Malkin bombshell, you kind of feel it coming in the last couple of days. I got to tell you, yeah, because yeah. the reality is they as I tweeted yesterday morning there had actually been progress in talks finally between Malkin and the Penguins not to the point where a deal was getting close to being done but certainly to the point I would argue where the path was starting to illuminate itself and yet Malkin just shut it down is basically what happened and I think that he was upset about how this process has played out and uh, and he's the one who shut this down and announced that he was going to market. So it's a pretty unbelievable story, actually. And and one where you see both sides. You understand that uh, he's one of the most important players in franchise history and feels that this should not have played out this way. But I'll be honest, there's also a reason Ron Hexlaw was hired. He was hired just to keep everything the same. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's trying. he was trying to fight on term and fight against a deal they would regret. And, so I see both sides of this. But yeah, I mean, Malkin hitting the market. And again, not, there's nothing against the fact that the Penguins, I think, will still try to sign him, by the way. Sure. Uh, yeah. But whether or not Evgeny Malkin is receptive to that, uh, certainly as of last night, seemed uh, doubtful. So now you got this this Hall of Fame name on the market out of nowhere. I, I texted <laughs> the GMs today. We're like, holy cow, we got you know, to look at this. Um, and a lot of teams will, like, I think a dozen teams will have that conversation this morning. Yeah. Um, but then I think what's going to happen for Evgeny Malkin is this, he's going to have to balance the most alluring offers in terms of winning a cup again versus the more financially beneficial offers. I don't know how many of those will overlap because Hmm. teams have very little cap room. Makes sense. I mean, he's got some cups. Like, if he wants to cash in one more time, like, he certainly, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that he has that option. We, we are, Sean pointed out how sneaky, um, interesting this cap situation is in Washington. Like, that's a team that could spend if they really wanted to. How do you, you know, we've heard Darcy Kemper's name attached to the Capitals. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're making some moves in goal. Like, how do you see uh, their approach? There's no question in my mind. I've, I've hit this a few times over the past four days. I think yeah. Caps are the front runners for Kemper. Again, that doesn't mean they'll necessarily get him tomorrow, but that's my yeah. that's my information. I, I I did read. I think Sean, I was reading your cap piece, which was was which was a great read. Um, and I think you mentioned about Nick Backstrom. I will tell you that I that I literally had that conversation with GM Brian McClellan in Montreal, and. He and he's absolutely matter of factly said he cannot LTIR 
box from all mm. I think he can but that that box from mm. has indicated to him that he plans to be back for the end of the, re- the regular season so they can't you know that's add, interesting so that, that yeah, cuts so, in that cuts in dramatically to to, yeah. to the space they would potentially have tomorrow yeah now that conversation happened last wednesday the gym meetings you know <laughs> <laughs> has have the cats yeah. had time to convince Baxter that that his recovery will take longer? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, like anytime, if, if they can sign Malkin and say, "Hey, Nick, um, boy, you don't look good." Yeah, anytime, like really anytime a guy, anytime a guy has a surgery that I have to Google because I think the word is incorrect is usually a bad. Sign. Like when I when I was like hip resurfacing, I've ne- I've never heard of that one before. Yeah, but but maybe by uh, maybe by uh, cutting ties with Samsonov that gives them enough room. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm. who knows. I mean, I certainly wouldn't count Washington out. But again, who who would you count out? I mean, I think Florida this morning is talking about yeah. Alkin internally. I bet. Of course. Uh, I bet the Colorado Avalanche, who will probably lose Nazem Kadri, are wondering, how about a cheap deal to go come and help us win another cup? I mean, like, what team could you not make the argument for Evgeny Malkin? But again, yeah, what does Evgeny Malkin want at the at the end of this 24-hour period, right? I mean, and I don't think know that for sure. Can we talk about the Blackhawks for a yeah, sec? That, that's you took the words. <laughs> and, and specifically, like, I don't want to get lost in the fringes of who they didn't QO or whatever and the trades they made, I, whatever. That all, I, To me, let's not miss the main event here is that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves now who might have thought are, they want to play for the Blackhawks the rest of their lives are probably looking at this and saying, why in the world? Like, we can, we can play for the Colorado Avalanche tomorrow if we, you know what I mean? Like, what, why would we go through this? And I know it's probably too early. I don't know, you know, if CAA and the Blackhawks have gotten too far into the weeds here on any of this, but you know those players well, Pierre. You know both sides of this equation. I feel like this is something that's going to become a bigger story. The first thing we have to do, and I, and I say this with amazing respect for Jonathan Taze, who is, man, as good as they were. I don't think, I don't think you can group both him and Kane in the same place right now. Yeah. Because the reality sure. is, there's a much bigger market for Kane than there is for Taze at this point. And so I think it's important to start there. Um, and, and the other thing I would say is that um, so much of this, even though Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze knew that this was a rebuild coming, the the realistic impact of what this actually looks like now really didn't start until the Debrinket deal. Yes. It's less than a week old. And so my point is, you know, there are steps that happen before a divorce happens. And and I don't know if there's enough time for these steps to materialize on the game front where, you know, like if he wakes up in three weeks and says, okay, yeah, I realize now I got to get out of here. Well, is that too, is that too late for teams that have already made all their moves under the cap? Right. Like that, that Everybody's at the a lake. certain rhythm to the off season in terms of when the team can act and how they fill out the roster. And I guess I would argue there are a lot of teams that would move heaven and earth anyway and, and just make it happen. And that's probably true. But I guess what I'm waiting to get light on is, um, you know, is Kane ready to react in real time now? I don't get that sense yet. I, I think that he's still trying to digest all this. And because of that, I don't know that we'll have clarity on that in this particular window this week when so much is happening. Do you have any sense of what, of how other teams have reacted to what the Blackhawks have done 
over over the even even yesterday with with the with the QO stuff. Like there's like you said, there's one thing between hearing that it might happen and theorizing about it, and then seeing them go scorched earth and just be like, no, nope, Strom out of here. Yeah. And, uh, good, good, goodbye. Goodbye. Like is no, is I, the is is the level that they've taken this too surprising to to, to anybody around the league? I think it, uh, yeah, I think everyone knew they're going to rebuild. And then, again, mm-hmm. to Cal Davidson's defense, he literally mm-hmm. back and look at some of his quotes from when he took over as GM. He he predicted a pretty massive rebuild, but even within those words, what does that mean? Uh, uh, now we know. <laughs> I think uh, right. I think the janitor's in trouble there, and then the Blackhawks organization. <laughs> everyone can look that, but um, no, I, I think I think you know the teams I've talked to around the league are are not only surprised at, at the depth of this uh, teardown, but, but also uh, hoping to get in on it <laughs> and see what else, sure. what else that can be. And, and not so much. Is there any, is there that many attractive assets still to, to pick off the roster, but probably more so teams that are in cap trouble, hoping now, you know, as I was Arizona, Arizona, when you have a cap issue, like Montreal trade and Shea Weber's contract or tried to trade at the Arizona, um, but, uh, you know, Arizona is always a team you would dump things on. You know, maybe Chicago becomes that team now for a couple of years because the Hawks can gain assets out of that. Even with the Duncan Keith cap or capture penalty, which is which had only become a thing, you know, official, or really only became a thing officially in, in the last couple of days. The Blackhawks can't trade either Taves or Kane without retaining salary on their end so they can hit the cap floor. Like that's how that's how much they've just shed in the last in the in the last week it's pretty amazing mm-hmm. for a team that was like squeezing players in i would argue if, if a patrick kane trade ever materializes at some point either later this summer or you know even during the season next year i would argue that instead of looking at it like well the hawks have no choice but to retain on a kane trade because it was 10.5 cap it yeah i would argue the hawks actually would would make that a prerequisite mm-hmm. themselves because they would yeah, yeah. Maximize get more retain yeah, and get, get more yeah so Kane at five and change or whatever holy you cow imagine, like, what 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 yeah. what one year of Patrick Kane at at five and a quarter yeah <laughs> what kind of <laughs> what kind of return that will bring yeah now now again remaining to be seen Pat Brisson is the agent for Patrick Kane really smart dude been around a long time has had a lot of control over big trades, right? I mean, he, yeah. He he pretty much controlled the pure pure Luke Dubois situation out in Columbus. Uh so my point is on Patrick Kane, what we don't know again, we still don't have 100% answer on whether Kane wants to go now. So that's number one. Number two, if that moment comes, is Pat Brisson going to announce to teams that if you want him, you got to extend him? Mm. Does that make that deal different? You know? Yeah, I mean they're calling the shots, right? Like he doesn't have to go anywhere. He's got full control. Yeah, he's yeah. This is this is he just has to decide. Yeah, wherever he is right now. Yeah, but boy, I like um, the thought of reuniting him and Panarin. The probably the most dynamic pair. Like watching them play together was so much fun. And the idea of Patrick Kane in New York with Artemi Panarin is just, just like just stick everybody in New York. Malkin, Kane. Well, uh, you know, they, they got to do something, and they're the Rangers. You know they will, but um, I just – if you're Patrick Kane, like, why why sit there and die on the vine in Chicago? Like, 
So <laughs> if you're listening, Patrick, which I know you are. Yeah. Chicago's great. Chicago's a great place. Chicago's great. I can't like there's no better place right now than it, maybe Montreal. Listen, I, I I will admit I texted with Patrick Kane probably within an hour of the Debrinket trade, which probably wasn't yeah. for me. <laughs> and and he he was very polite, but it was clearly not in a position to share any any thoughts yet. But, At least know, he was yeah. polite. Well, no, I'll, I'll, I mean, I, I have a decent relationship with him, but yeah. I think that we, I think that one thing that we underrate with a lot of these athletes that have played in one place is how much that means to them. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, he, Patrick Kane has loved being a Blackhawk and, and clearly that's being tested right now uh, more than ever, but you know, he's the, the he's all over the team record book. Uh, there are things he can still attain there that, that he could own that record book. I, I know it sounds like no one wants to hear that, but I, I'm just saying like before, if he ever gets to a point where he wants to get moved, I think he's got a lot to get through mentally in terms of getting to that point, which I think we underrate as like, we all want to get to from A to Z in a hurry with that. This is, yeah. but, but I think on many levels it's, it's, you know, Chicago's home. I mean, I think Claude Giroux is a good comparable in that. Like, I don't know how much you talked to, to Claude about this Pierre, but like I'm sure part of him was the idea of leaving Philly was har- really hard to get around but you know once you get into a playoff race once you're on a you know a team as talented as Florida or whatever I-, I think it you know once you just get out of that environment and change your mindset it's, it's you're like oh yeah well, this is what I should have done all along I don't and I, I don't know if that was Claude's con- conclusion yeah no, and, I, and I have talked to you know to Claude after the trade and and everything and you're right that's actually a very good comparison because i think that claude drew was probably one of the last people involved in that whole process that got himself to a place where he's like i'm ready to leave philly yeah and we were doing it three months before him <laughs> <laughs> that's right we've been talking and, about but he but he philly was his only team uh it was his home uh you know playing in that thousandth game as a flyer was important to him but everyone else is like really is it that important with everything going on but right. but it was and, and again we're that just shows you that we, I think we sometimes underrate those things in, in the mind of an athlete because we're busy trying to make trades as media. Stick them, right. Stick, uh, stick right. them anywhere else. But you know what? He loved the, you know, he loved this time in Florida big time, despite the, the emotional and dramatic change in his life and, uh, and would have absolutely wanted to stay there if the Panthers had more cap room. Yeah. See, it's not over yet. I got 24 hours, but uh, I think Drew's probably going to move on. Yeah. All right, so for for all for all the stuff we've seen this morning, like we've got Rangers potentially moving on from Andrew Cobb, all these all these like you know granular sort of things, moving with movement with Jack Campbell, all that stuff. What stories are going to last until tomorrow? Like when it's when it's Wednesday at noon, like what stuff is not going to actually be settled? Is is there like an outstanding kind of question there? Yeah, well, Kane, I think for sure won't be settled. Yeah, we've just established that. Um, there are some trade scenarios that may not be settled. I mean, listen, you know, Jeff Petrie still wants out of Montreal in a very civil way. Like everyone's on the same page there, but you know, does he necessarily have to be traded the next 24 hours? I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe it's the gamble for Montreal that they actually wait to see who gets Klingberg and who doesn't and then react on the other side of it. Um, so that's an example. Um, I'm intrigued about what San Jose does with Brent Burns. Um, you know, Mike Greer was quoted locally talking about it, and it's kind of opened that door. Um, and Brent Burns has a lot of control over it. I think he's got only a three-team no-trade list 
i.e. three teams that he can be dealt to without his consent. So he's got a lot of say in, right. in what happened, but I think he might be open to it. Um, um, you know, and uh, I think it was Elliot Freeman who mentioned Dallas as a possibility. I'll, I'll throw you another one. I think the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, mm. I've talked about Brent Burns internally uh, after training Tony D'Angelo. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on that one. But does that have to happen in the next 24 hours? Not necessarily, right? I mean, the offseason's all summer. If the Dallas Stars win a Stanley Cup, do the Sharks put up a banner in their rink? That's what I think. With Pete Moore and Joe Pavelski there, you mean? Yeah, Joe Pavelski. I feel like everybody ends up in Dallas, or at least I'm just thinking of Tom Holy more than anybody. Oh, right. But no. Just, it started with Tom Holy. Na- naturally, yeah, Tom, right. He's, he's, he's at the top of the list. <laughs> I love that. I, I like that idea of Brent Burns in Dallas. And, and you know, Klingberg's a guy that's kind of flown under the radar. You, you'd mentioned him. The one guy who had a monster year, won a Stanley Cup in Nazem Kadri. I feel like he's kind of been under the radar. Like right, and and what's the uh, deal there? You know, let's mention another name for the Rangers. Maybe, uh, I mean, yeah, we, yeah. We, let's just put them all. Well, I mean, the Rangers want to go out and get a center. So how, how could they not yeah. have investigated the Kadri situation? And for sure they, for sure they have. But let me bring his his name up in conjunction with Calgary, which would be ironic because he turned down a trade to Calgary from Toronto years ago. But if the Flames can't retain Woodrow, Brad Treliving is not sitting in his hands and saying, "Oh well." That sucks. No, he's he's going to move heaven on earth to, to move some other names in there. And yeah, I wonder if a guy like Kadri uh, and not only his offensive skill, but his two-way game and his sandpaper, just the whole package. You know, I covered the Battle of Alberta, which was the highlight of my of my year to be there for it. But I got to tell you, Calgary went out pretty timidly in that series. And I know a lot of it had to do with the greatest player in the world deciding he was going to be even better than that. But that series, I think, left a bad taste in the mouth of the Calgary Flames because they, hmm. for some parts of that series, didn't show up. And a guy like Kadri, man, I, I'd love to see him. Yeah, off series. He shows up. <laughs> Another battle, Alberta. Yeah. But again, the list of teams on Kadri would be really long. And, and so much of this will depend for Kadri, obviously, on, uh, on his really his first payday of his career. He, he's coming off a bargain deal he signed in Toronto. But also the fit for his family is going to be very important. So we'll see where that goes. All right. You got to get to Toronto, Pierre. So th- this will be it for me. But is there an American team, since we're staying on theme here, yep. that you that we haven't talked about because we want to put everyone on the Rangers or that you, you, you suspect might make a, a move, either a trade or something that, that shakes things up that, that we, you know, might be blown away by or surprised by just somebody being active that we're not talking about. Well, I, I don't know if talked about them, but I mean, I just mentioned them. I think Carolina is on the clock. Like, like yeah. they're, they're yeah. losing Niederreiter and Trocek to market. They've traded mm-hmm. D'Angelo, who's our top point producing D. They're on the lookout to replace him. They're on the lookout for a, a top six four. They're on the lookout to do a lot of things. And, and their playoffs ended uh, with a deep roster with a team that couldn't score when it mattered. So yeah. I, I, I think they're up to, uh, I think they're trying to do a lot there in Carolina. I, that would be my answer to that. Well, Pierre, thanks for joining us during your busy time. Oh, it was worries. great to see you. I always have Montreal. time for my favorite Americans. <laughs> safe, safe trip to Toronto and uh, we'll catch up soon. Right on, right on. See you boys.
All right, that was great, Pierre's. I just, I like, I just like to sit and grill him. Where's this guy go? I feel like, oh, hey, where's this guy gonna go, Pierre? Hey, hey, uh. Um. All right, let's let's wrap up this segment, and we are gonna go. We have Paul Maurice coming up uh, in the next segment. Now the head coach of the Florida Panthers in their sunrise red pineapple. What is it? Yellow team colors. American blue. Yeah. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We are now thrilled to be joined by new Florida Panthers coach, Paul Maurice. Paul, thanks for doing this, first of all. How are you? Yeah, pleasure. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Oh, where to start here? Um, So, like, Sean and I were talking, you know, a few minutes ago about, um, I, I would say there was probably an element of surprise that this is where everything landed for you, for the Panthers. I think there were some assumptions made about where they might go. And, it, like, and I'm sure you've shared the story, but when did... Florida looked like an intriguing option to you. Like when did they yeah. catch your eye and, and how, like what, how did this come about? So it was a complete surprise on my end. Yeah. Like totally. So the, right to the back to the start, I'm flipping through the channels, watching seven games at a time, you know, not really well in January. And my wife said, is there any, anybody that you're interested because I hadn't said much about what was going to happen in the future. And the, and the qualifier to all this is I wasn't going back unless I could get all fired up about it again. And that goes to kind of the decision to step off the bench. It was from just a hockey point of view, it was the right time. You know, almost nine years in the Canadian market, unless you win the Stanley Cup, you need a change. And, and they, they did. The players did. But the two years of the whole COVID experience for me just kind of sucked my love of the game. It just I just I stopped. All the juice you get out of the game, whether it's the crowd, the fans, the normalcy, whatever it is, not being in the same hotel for seven straight days, kind of in your room, you know, you weren't even able to just, I stopped loving it. So I'm flipping through and it just, I'm on flipping, I'm watching the Panthers play. And she says, is is there any team that interests you? And I said, yeah, that one, but they're going to win the president's trophy. So we we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So that's it. We don't talk about it again. Well, two months after that, my youngest walks around the corner and says, I just got into the University of Miami. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm saying nothing to him. I don't want to, I know he's got a bunch of other schools up in the Northeast. Fine, fine. But I'm thinking two bedroom condo, your mom and I slip down there for four months a year. This is perfect. Right. So he picks it. He decides this is the place he's going to go. And then, I don't know, mid uh, June, my wife and I are driving back from the cottage and the phone rings. It's a number. I don't know. It was Bill Zito. And he said, I, I think the words were, I'm just kind of seeing where your interests are. And I said, I'm interested in the Florida Panthers. And it was out of my mouth. 
you know, before I'd processed it. And then that just started kind of communications. And, and I would think by about, we, we had, we had some long interviewing sessions, but early on in the first one, I thought I, I want to work for this guy. Yeah. He is yeah. fired up, smart, active, very involved in what's going on. We had, we had great sessions, got to meet the people. And then, and then by day two, I'm going, okay, I'm back. And I need to coach this team. This is, this is something I want. Yeah, I, I, so this was all just to get in-state tuition yeah. then for college. I thought there was, I figured we could get exactly. to the bottom of <laughs> Miami's, Miami's, so Miami's, Miami's a private out. school, my yeah. friend. You're out of luck. <laughs> yeah, right. I think, I think my kid gets into really good schools in the States because he can come in as a foreign student, but he's actually born in the States. So yeah. he's easy, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. There's no immigration issues. There's no problem. They can charge us full price. It's perfect. It's perfect. For it's ideal. Right? That's it. So I, yeah. I had seen I had seen you say that you and Bill hadn't crossed paths much over, over the last, which is that's it's, it's wild hmm. to think for as for as many of his players, I'm I'm sure as as your coach that you, that you hadn't that you hadn't crossed paths much. But what I mean, I, I know you said you you got it, you got him, he he got you fired up and and and, and whatnot, but. I mean, what's what's the last you know the last the last month been like, or the last month or two been like since you got the job, and as you've kind of taken it more head on and gotten gotten some more time with him in that working official relationship. So what's what's kind of interesting is is the sidebars. There are a bunch of guys that play here that I used to coach. Mm-hmm. So Brian McCrae's here in uh, in player development. Tuomo Rutu is on the coaching staff. I had him. Uh, Mike Ryan's here. We, so we we've got a bunch of of ex kind of connections mm-hmm. that we have um and then it just in truth it goes flat out so i agreed to terms on a wednesday the house doesn't go up on the market my wife calls the realtor she sells it thursday so mm-hmm. she's kind of that good a week later we're both down here she just bought a house um and then it is all phone calls so and i'm not much of a phone guy but i, I know what it's like to be out of work and, and be trying to get a job. So basically everybody that's called me or sent me a resume, I, I try to call back and talk to and tell them where I am. Now they're probably all very frustrated with me because <laughs> I take, I, I take my time in all of these. So I, when, when I hired Jamie Compon in Winnipeg, he was my 17th interview. So hmm. this is, so there's a huge time cost in terms of calling everybody, reaching out. And then we've got our development camp here. It's all about learning who this team is. So last year, we'll do an entire review, and that'll be analytics, video, talk to management, talk to pro scouts, talk to the players too. That was another piece to it. You know, I've, I've gotten through, I've, I've at least made contact with all of the players on our roster. So that you start to do, I don't know if triage is be the right word, but you certainly autopsy everybody's last season, and then you just start prepping forward. What was it about... I mean, you know, Florida was a fun team to watch just as a fan, right? Like they were one of them, you know, as your flipper right. must watch. But from a coach's perspective, what was it about watching them that kind of got you fired up? Well, uh, the same as you as a fan. Yeah. Truly, yeah. if I'm not pre-scouting a game, I'll I'll go down the list of games and find the two most fun teams to watch and just watch it for fun. And it's surprising the number of times you're going, oh, Florida's playing Toronto tonight. This is going to be a burner, right? So you, you watch those games. So. The fan of the game, I'm no different than you guys, anybody else. You turn on the game that there's something kind of cool might happen, right? right. And it just so happens. So that would be driver number one. They're a whole lot of fun to watch. There's something really good about coaches, actually, is the practices, is getting on the ice with guys like that. 
Mm. So I've got a handful of kind of amazing moments in my life, and they're usually all great players, but they'll do something on the ice and you see it and and you can't believe they just did that. And at that point, I'm a five-year-old kid. I'm going, oh my God. I mean, I had a Sammy Kapanen moment, like my second practice. He took off in front of me and I've never seen anybody skate that fast in my life, ever. And and a Blake Wheeler moment, same thing. He turned the corner on one and he just shaved me going by. Going, I'm thinking he, he would have killed me had he hit me. Or whether it was Paul Coffey, I had you know, Ron Francis, his ability to anticipate a play and just, just you know, where is he going? Oh, oh, that's where he's going. He's going to get the puck because that's where it came five seconds later, but I couldn't see it, right? Evgeny Malkin, I have had over in Russia. The stuff that some of these guys can do that that doesn't even get seen in a game because the game takes it away is awesome, right? They're incredible athletes, really skilled. So excited about getting up in the ice with them. I've got I've got a handful of things in my mind that I think we need to add to the game. Some direction we need to go to. I think there's I got a little bit of a historical perspective, you know. Craig, like you, like my time coming through Detroit, watching the Red Wings right from the mid '80s when I played junior Windsor, straight right through till they beat us in '02 when they kind of finished that dynasty. Yeah, uh, the progression of great teams, and they all they all go through the window that Florida is going through now, and I, I'd like to be a part of that going out the other side. The challenge is, I mean, there's a lot of versions of those teams that don't get there, right? Like you sit there and say, oh, this team is on the cusp. You could say Carolina or some, you know, that have gone through it. Florida, right. they, you know, the big thing with them was getting out of the first round or whatever. And then, you know, then they run into a team that knows how to take care of business in the postseason. Yeah. There's no other, like that Lightning team is, yes. they know what to do. Other than experience, which you, you can't rush that. Right. What do you, how do you kind of, how do you teach them to, take that next step in this group. Right. So we have to overarching ideas that we have to increase their capacity to endure hard times. They almost, they almost, um, it almost, their success, you know, almost worked against them and they almost had no adversity during the year. They stayed pretty darn healthy. I mean, I asked one of the questions, how many man games did you lose last year? Nobody knew the answer, which is an awesome thing. No, that's a good thing. You ask Pete Moore, yeah, right around 500. He knows. Yeah, he, knows he knows. He knows. He knows. He knows <laughs> exactly. If anybody knows him, yeah. Right. right. No, he cost him his year and his job. He knows exactly. So they, they they stayed pretty darn healthy all year. They 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 were behind 24 times and came back. They had 16 points in, in a part of a game that's never played in the playoffs. So there's a little fool's gold in there. But at the same time, there's just a whole lot of good, right? So the, let's go back to the question. Uh, original question, how do you kind of get them to the next level? So there are two things that you, you hit Washington and you hit Tampa and you're a rush team. Those are like, those are the two worst neutral zones for you to hit, right? They got Lavi's running that one, three, one Coop's got that wing lock and they're good with that wing lock. Their neutral zone is tight to get through. So you got to develop a plan for those kind of teams and understand the game's not going to look the same way. Think about Tampa. I mean, they were exciting to watch for years, right? Went to the finals, missed the playoffs, Mm -hmm. but still unbelievably exciting to play. And then it's kind of Coleman and Goudreau that come in. And all of a sudden now they've got an added an element to their game that they didn't have before. So that's that's roster construction as much as it is. No, I know. Right. Like I I don't maybe maybe that wasn't what they brought a different but everybody does that right you got yeah. steve stample with blocking shots because that's the next direction yes. so they always say you know you got to lose before you win and the question is why 
because if if Lance Armstrong and I get on a bike side by each and we go flat out as hard as we can for 10 minutes and I'm puking and he's puking. We both work just as hard, except his capacity is so much better. He's three miles down the road, 10 miles down the road, right? But we both work just as hard. So the loss forces you and drives you to increase your capacity. And even with that understanding, and you guys will remember this, Pittsburgh beat us for Cobb in the conference final in 2009. And we were all talking about dynasty, like possibly a dynasty greater than the Oilers. You had Malkin, Crosby, and Stahl down the middle, like unbelievable strength. You got the goalie, you got Fleury in the net. He's going to be great forever. You got all of these pieces, and yet they become one of those teams that you're talking about, really skilled. The, the, the interview after every kind of series loss and game loss was the same. We had our chances. Right. Well, we had our chances. And then all of a sudden, and, and you know, I think you really got to give Mike Sullivan credit there. They, they started to grind and compete. He's he is he is top shelf at, at getting that with the injuries. Maybe even the most important about his coaching isn't just the two Stanley Cups. It's the injuries that those teams have battled through and still been, rel, you know, relevant in the late. It's a surprise to me that he hasn't won a Jack Adams, especially in the, in the last couple of years. When you look at the when you look at the injury stuff, that's always a hobby horse for me. It's it, it's it's crazy that he hasn't yeah. it, that he hasn't won one. Is there okay? So, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. By all means. No, he's not. He's not nice enough to you guys. I keep telling him it's got to be nicer he's, to the media. It's not true. Mike's actually good. Mike's great. A, a, that, like, a Mike's fine. B, you can blame the broadcasters for that. We are. We are. We are writers. Yeah, it's so not our word. It's not our word. <laughs> Well, you know what the truth, the truth of the matter is, is that, that you get at some, he got probably taken for granted because of the quality of his lineup. Yep. You know, it's just the truth. You, you win those cups and, and he's done a masterful job with lineups that, that a lot of coaches would say, how do you expect me to win with this and, and drive them? Yeah. He, he's done a brilliant job. Okay. So, so you said, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's about, you know, teaching those guys how, how to deal with them deal with adversity and also maybe maybe deal better with a one three one or whatever those system things. How do you is there a secret sauce between you implementing lessons like that and teaching them how to get better in those areas without detracting from what made them the president's trophy team and and, and help them score all those goals. And yeah, there were a ton of comebacks down the down the line, but you know, is, is there a way to teach them, you know, the important stuff while also helping them kind of retain the identity that's that's at least that has at least gotten them you know this far. Yeah. So there's that's the question that I'm going to try to answer before right mm -hmm. up to the camp. Right. There's too much good here to change everything. Why why would you want to? And some of it is your compete. Like I, I'd almost feel better if they if I watched them and thought they were lazy because that I can fix. You know. But but there's a lot of good compete there. I think they were almost a victim of their own success in that, that they started to believe and, and rightfully so in a style of game that disappears in the playoffs. And then they, they brought that game into the playoffs and it didn't work because you got two veteran teams, both knew how to win the hard things come to the forefront and they hadn't quite, they had had so much success. So it's good. Why isn't this working now? Right. And then, some of it is the luck of the draw for them. They just, those two teams are going to be hard grinding, even though they're very skilled, they're, they're very difficult to play through. So they take away your strength right away. And, um, and then frustration builds, right? 
So you've got to get yourself comfortable in comfortable and uncomfortable situations. Those are all general terms. What I tried to do in my answer with the neutral zone is that's the specific of it. So when you go in and you play those teams, you've got to be mentally prepared that your game is going to look different. So the, the idea is we, we got our game. We just got to play our game. I understand that. But the other team gets paid too, right? And they have the same kind of idea. So when the two of you meet, you're going to look different than you and another opponent. So I don't know. I mean, I would pay money to see Florida, Toronto play all day long. Florida, Edmonton, which is, you know, with those two guys, it's exactly what we did to Edmonton when we beat them the year prior, right? You got, I mean, those two guys are freak shows on the ice. They are so dominant. So those are the things those kind of teams got to learn, right? So that I was trying to give you, we can fire all the adages, but anybody can say that the specific is we have to be able to play against different teams. When, when you, when you play against the team that scores as much as Florida, your main game plan is making sure you don't let that happen, right? You, that's your focus. So they, your opponent almost has the advantage on you because the defensive game in the playoffs is, is easier. It, not It's harder to play, uh, but it's an easier path. So they took away Florida's strengths and that was frustrating, right? The power play really struggled. Uh, so the defensive part of the game is where they got them, but that, that that's true of everybody that didn't win. Right. Like, like all of those teams are good teams. It, it, it's human nature when you've come back 24 times to win in a season or, or whatever it was where you're at least going to carry some of that over into the playoffs to like, well, okay, this, right. this worked before. Well, you're playing against Tampa Bay lightning in the second round of the playoffs. Like right. the, <laughs> the rest and, of you might need to right. change. And, and no, you're right. It just, and it would have worked. It just works at less frequency. And now you're in a seven game series. So if you don't hit that number, right, you, you lose, right? But the question then is, and you want that confidence in your team to have the ability to come from behind. That's like a really crucial piece. But the real question is why, as a president's trophy winner, are you behind in 24 of those games? Right. What, what right. right. How did you get there? So the other team is playing you. They know you're really, really good. They've got some good structure. They they choke you down. And then the next thing you know, they're up 3-1. Well, here come the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. And now almost the restraint's off. We got to go, boys. And you're holding it on. They're going to beat you. Right? You kick kicking the puck out to the neutral zone on the Florida Panthers with the lead. They're, they're going to counter on you, and they're going to beat you. They're going right. to beat you in transition. They're going to beat you in skeet. So it was, I think, a whole bunch of things kind of, added up and i also think it was uh maybe worse than it really was right mm-hmm. we, we beat we beat edmonton four straight and three of them went into overtime and one of them triple overtime and they could have blown our doors off four straight in every one of those games right it's that it's that close and i felt watching the series there's one that got away from them i think pretty good but for the most part it's it's not a mile it's just a couple of hard inches you know Oh, you said something interesting um, about Winnipeg and your kind of the timing there for you in knowing it was it was time. Like that's something that doesn't you don't just wake up one day you don't feel it. How did you balance? Yeah. Like, um, I'm sure last summer at this time you were having those thoughts, and I don't want to project. Yeah. I I know I would have. Like you're talking about COVID, you're talking about Pat. You know, like how what was that process like? To, you know, trying to get it to a goal you wanted to versus doing what you kind of know in your heart is the right thing. And we talked about it. I talked about it with both Kevin and Mark Chipman, the owner in, in the summer. I just said, I'm not, I'm not, you lose. I'm not, when you start, when you say, I'm not sure I'm your guy, mm-hmm. then it's in your head. 
and and I had two years left on my contract, right? And I I didn't I didn't want to work. I didn't I needed I need to be good at what I'm doing, good at my job to get paid for it. Like it's just not right to kind of grind through it. And and yeah, you know what's a lot of money. I get that, but that's never been a driver for me. Uh, I drive a used pickup truck, and I'm I'm trying to figure out how to get it down to Florida. You know, if they'll let me. So I knew it. I knew it in the summer, and if that's my regret there. I, I don't regret. I don't regret stepping off the bench. I, I mean, I I needed to, and but I regret not doing it in the summer. But but you know, they're they're real positive. You know, hey, you can coach here a long. I I know I can coach a long time, but. Uh, and then we got the two defensemen. We get Schmidt and Dylan, and you get fired up again, and you'll go, okay, let's go, let's go. And you got into the year, and I went, oh man, you know, we were. I like that team. I, I and I, I love some of the players on it. I like the team. The management and ownership there are as fine a people as you'll ever meet. So now you feel like you're letting them down, and you are. You know, I I would say that. I rarely ever walked off the bench and thought the players screwed this thing up. We lose a game. I'm figuring I missed something, right? I didn't push a button. I didn't get to the right guys. I didn't set the right tone. I couldn't, which is in some ways is foolish because you're not winning 82 if you just do your job right. But my performance was starting to weigh on me real heavily. I didn't think I was good and I didn't have an answer. I couldn't, I couldn't get them going. I couldn't push. Like you're rolling into the ninth year, eighth or ninth year. They need a new voice. They need somebody else driving the bus. That's just the fact. I mean, you're either winning Stanley Cups or you're developing from an expansion team. Those are the only two ways I think your message, you can, you, you know, you get a lot of transition when you're an expansion team, a lot of roster turnover. So it's still kind of fresh or you're right there and you're winning. But I mean, that's, you know, you go through the Canadian division that year and all you, I mean, those are playoff games every night. The scrutiny, it's not the pressure that got to me. It's the... They need some, a new idea to push them forward, to keep the fans excited, to keep the building full. You know, forward motion is what those Canadian teams need. And when you look at the number, I mean, every God, every other Canadian team went through a whole bunch of coaches through my tenure there up in Canada. I mean, three, three and four, there's a reason for it, right? That you, it's a different market. It's a different, it's a different world up there in terms of the hockey. So I think they got, that's, that's why coaches get changed. The interesting thing to me was the players coming out of exit interviews in Winnipeg saying, I mean, I this is what you expect from players, that it was on that, like they weren't playing the right way. Like there seemed to be some accountability of like wherever went sideways. There yeah. Was, you know what I mean? Like there was something off or whatever was going on there. And I don't know how much you can, I just was thinking. No, I, I'll be, I'm going to take a pass on comment yeah, on yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that I really truly didn't watch it. Okay, and, and I I had did not do one interview from the time I left the bench until I got this job here, and even with that, I stayed away from Winnipeg interviews until they hired Rick. It's not my team. It's not my place to talk sure. about the Winnipeg Jets unless they're an upcoming opponent. Other than truly love those people, and they need a new coach, and they got a, they got a good one. He's got a great sense of humor, Bones. He's going to get that back end up the ice. He does. He you look at the transition in that. Tampa Bay process. He was a big, big part of that. Yeah. He'll be great. He'll be great for him. I want to, all right. You, you kind of alluded to it. Um, I was um, a writer here, uh, Murat covers the Jets. And I said, Hey, we're having Paul on. And he's just, he goes, I have a great Paul Marie story. He 
said it was my first one of his first ever press conferences and he's nervous he's just a kid doesn't know anybody like there's you know working up the 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 nerve to ask a question in that setting when it's all these you know the canadian media all the things you've referenced paul yeah and he finally at the end he's like trying to reach for a mic and it's awkward and weird as it always is and you're when you're in those situations and PR guy says, all right, we're all done here. And that's when normally everyone just scatters. And he's like, Marat said, I'll never forget Paul saying, hey, um, no, we've got one more. Like, he, and he, you know, you pointed to him and and he's like, yeah, hey. like I like that small. He's like, like, that's Paul Maurice. And I just love that story. And you talked about your relationship with the media or just being able to have conversations about hockey. And, and um, I don't know if that's your personality, Paul, or if that's something you're intentional about, um, you like the sport and you like you think it's important, but I don't I th- know. Think, I think the answer to that is I, I'm, I've got about 26 years in this league and I'm still an outsider in a lot of ways. And I, and I don't mean that. What was me? I'm not, it's, it's yeah. uh, I didn't play. Right. So I came into the league as a 28 year old kid and there's about four or five guys that would talk to me. Right. I think everybody else thought, well, this guy's going to be out in a week and they would have been right. But, um, uh, Daryl Sutter sat down on one of the coaches' meetings beside me when I was real young and took me through the entire Hartford Whaler season. Now, he's coaching in the West Coast, and he knew every single thing that happened to my team. Hmm. So I've always been a huge Daryl Sutter fan. Eddie Johnson, who, I mean, we have a generation between us at least, and he would come over and talk to me, and it meant the world to me at that hmm. time. Paul Holmgren, who I actually started in the NHL with kind of, he was great to me. So I understand being new, being young, and being an outsider. And I also know that I'm just a fan of the game anyway, just like all of you guys are. We love the game. And then you get into those situations, especially between media and people in it, where you get, uh, I don't know how much language I can use. You get pissed. Anything you, you want. Right? So, so you know, we get mad at the media and the media has got to get fatigued at sometimes with me. Like, like what was the last book you read, man? And, and, you know, like, you, you know what I mean? Like there's a, okay. So that's part of it. My, my, I'm just a kind of a fan of it. I also have a son that wants to work in media. So I look at it completely different now. So my middle one wants to be a play-by-play guy. He's a play-by-play guy for the Winnipeg Blues in the, the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. He's done it for the last two years. He loves the game. Mm-hmm. The idea that he would step into an NHL room or an American League room and put a mic in a coach's face and the coach would be disrespectful, I, I mean, I want to kill thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Right? You know I mean? That would offend yes. me at such a personal level. So I try to be... Respectful of you guys and the job you're doing. Because in Marat, I see my kid, mm. right? Nervous on his first day. You know, it's the NHL, man. It's yes. it's part in part dream job. And at the same time, God, you're you're you got a full sweat going because you you're nervous. Yeah. So the yep. idea <laughs> I want, yeah, right? You guys get that, yeah. right? So when my kid gets his chance and he's interviewing Pete DeBoers, I want that coach to be nice to him. Cause, cause, cause I love that kid and I want you to love him too. That's how I feel about that. I'm sure Pete will be. I'm uh, going to just, I think, Pete's, I think, Pete's, Pete, I think Pete'll Pete's treat in the, kid well. Pete's in the can for that one. <laughs> I, hope so. I hope so. Well, Paul, thanks for doing yeah, this. So Great much. to see yeah, you. Congratulations on the new job Thank and uh, fun team. It's going to be fun to watch. So we appreciate the time. All right.
Best All of luck. Right, enjoy guys. and enjoy moving the boy in, into the dorms and Coral Gables or or whatever's whatever's yeah. whatever's upcoming there. Uh, uh, life's pretty good for him now. He gets his own spot. Woo-hoo! Good life. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There you go. Okay, guys. I'll All see right. you. Thank Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. This is the only good segment on the show. It's when we dive into the comments in the athletic app on our episode page, read all the wonderful, very funny, uh, very mean things you guys say about us sometimes. It's been, it feels, I don't know if it feels like more time or less, but it's been two weeks since we've had any show come out whatsoever. The last one, God, Craig, I don't know. I don't know where you were. Max was around. You ever, do you know him? Max Baltman? Max? Yeah, we're best friends. Yeah. We meet at Tipsy McStaggers mm-hmm. for good times. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that about me and Max. You've just tried we to Max steal him. We had Max on it. He was great. He was better than you. Certainly better than me. Brought some info on the Red Wings coaching update before that was all settled. And it was right, right in the wake of all the Hockey Hall of Fame. Voting debacle with mm-hmm. uh, only allowing, <laughs> only admitting one woman when they could have admitted two. And just the whole that whole mess that that's turned into. We also talked to Shapiro about, uh, I think it's safe to say it was a recap of the leagues of the league's first year on ESPN and TNT and just got some insight from him. It was a, it was a good show. It was way better than, uh, what you and I typically put together, but these are the comments off that. All right. I want to, I want to address Michael D. Well, first of all, Michael K with his, he likes to show up and just trash Mm -hmm. the fact that I went to Michigan state. I see you, Michael K. Michael D. Um, says it really feels like Max is the Tuesday show's top prospect that the fans feel is podcast ready, but the pod still has the old veteran Craig above him on the depth chart on the insistence that Gentilly needs to be surrounded by a veteran presence to continue to develop. There's a lot. Michael D, this is, this is probably more true than you even realize. Yeah. So, um, where do we start? First of all, Max is ready. Max is Max is the top. You, you, the fans have been clamoring for Max. He's been at the top of the prospect list. He's Max is beyond a top prospect. Max is already a star. So he's, he's like, so he's already he's the good young player who we think could play first line minutes if like the KG veteran would just get out of the way. Which who is this? Is okay. That's yeah. That's that's probably better. I was gonna say he's like he's like Kel McCarr. Like he's like a, he's a draft pick who goes to college and then. And I'm and like Eric Johnson, and everyone. Knows. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that makes Sam, or that that, that makes that makes that makes Max more like Sam Gerard, maybe, or Bowen Byram. No, I, I like the Kale McCarr Eric Johnson comp. Um, and look, Gentilly, does he need a veteran presence? I didn't. I, I didn't listen to that episode. Um, I'm sure it was fine, but was good. You, you know, I, I think I think Sean is ready to. Um, he doesn't need my Not out of everybody's way. I set up I set up Max. I set up I set up Shapiro. I think we did fine. Michael D, when it's Max and Sean on the Tuesday show, when the season returns next year, you can take full credit for it. Um uh, one more. Let me do one more here, Sean. Mm-hmm. Because look, I think producer Jeff is the best in the business. We I would never say anything about Jeff um that would be critical or even second guess him. Like he lines up Pierre on the, the biggest day of the year for Pierre. And we got Paul Maurice. We load it up. Like this is, he's great at it. But this is some fair, fair question from Adam P. Why does the outro music start playing three whole minutes before the episode ends on Tuesday episodes only? And I can only assume 
it's it like signals that are that, that our dumb asses are about to be done talking. <laughs> that's I right. love it. I think I that's think, great. I think it's because Sean and I never end it as quickly as we should. And Jeff is doing you, the listener, a favor by saying, like, hey, right, they're going to be done in, here soon. It'll just, be over soon. They're going to promo two more Mike Russo podcasts, make a couple more dumb jokes. We're almost there. Like, it's... I'm just waiting for him to do it while we're talking. Like we're at the Academy Awards and the, and the band starts playing. Like at some point, Jeff is just going like, to play like on one that. Of, one that of us will be actually song. on screen, on screen, on Zoom, and there will be like a Broadway cane that comes out of that, <laughs> that comes out of screen and yanks us off, like Showtime at the, at the Apollo. Uh, Max E says, "So typical of the NHL to hop on a trend as it's dying out. Uh, the NFT thing is so dumb because we talked at at length about NFTs." Well, you did last, last week. Sad, I missed it. I agree, Max Z. <laughs> I think it's very funny that they're hopping on the NFT thing. It's becoming more and more obvious that it is not just a scam that is guaranteed to lose uh, the people involved most closely. Money. Very funny. Uh, Slurms McKenzie's here. Hey, Slurms. Since it sure looked like it was his last game, can we get some appreciation for the career of the Condor, Eric Johnson? Also, that 06-07 University of Minnesota team had four players make the L that were still playing this this damn year. It's Blake Wheeler, it's Kyle Poso, it's Golagoski, and it is Alex Golagoski and uh, and and Eric Johnson. Four year four guys in the league after fifteen years. That that's crazy. Uh, is this Eric Johnson's last game? Is that is I, that confirmed? So I was reading as you were talking. I was googling this because I. As we, uh, you know, I'm the Eric Johnson of podcasts, so this this really this touches home for me. I read earlier that he he said he thought he had a couple years left, but he's not that old, Eric Johnson, is he? He's like as old as I am, so yeah, he's pretty he's pretty old. Um, I mean, he's dealt I mean, with he some can, injuries. He's Eric Johnson he can, is an like, eighty eight. Play if he he can play if he wants to. Yeah, Eric Johnson's an eighty eight. Oh my god, he's he's okay. So he's younger than I am. He's gonna play if he he's gonna play if he wants to. He got a cup, so he gets he has five cup. more years. Like, like if, even if he even if he can't skate by the end of it, they're just gonna keep saying, "Cup leadership, cup leadership," and they and they won't be wrong. He's a man. Remember with the golf cart thing, and then the trade <sighs> in the middle of the I night. Think about that all the. the do you insane. just constantly think about that? The start to his career. I I I woke up this morning just staring at the <laughs> ceiling in a cold sweat, <laughs> thinking the time Eric Johnson mangled his knee doing idiot shit on a golf cart 15 years ago. That's when we start chanting one of us. One of us. <laughs> I will say that's one of those things. But if that happened when Twitter was in like full freight, mm-hmm. if that happened, if, if the golf cart thing happened in 2015, let's say instead of when it did, it would have been a minute by minute <laughs> ordeal for, for, for three straight days. What is start to that dude's career? And he's made so much money and been so solid for 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 so long. At least he's been healthy. And then, he, then he's the first guy taking the cup. We love it. We love Eric Johnson. He's uh yes. I mean, it would be the the number one overall pick blowing out his knee in a golf like that. That's news for we would get so much out of that. And and what a what a career he's had. Candidate L said you had the perfect chance to say that Craig was at Pierre's cottage. Mm-hmm. One one two two. Boogie, might have been. Boogie Woogie Avenue and missed it. I'm disappointed, Sean. They said, "Um, we don't like." I said, "I don't know where it was last week or two weeks ago. Who knows?" Could I don't have, have to there. tell you everything, right? Might, might, might be there right now. You know what? 
That's why Peter didn't turn his camera on. Because mm-hmm. I was right behind him. He, he we were sharing just, a mic. We were both leaning in, sharing a mic. Like a, you guys were, you guys were face to face at the Pierre Breakfast Nook. Best view. His deck has the best view in the um, in the world. I've seen the photos. Maybe one day I'll be able to see it in person. But Sean, let me tell that. you, every day at about at about three o'clock, he he makes a, uh, a Caesar, and all his guests get a Caesar, and we pull out the chairs and we watch, and we spend the next several hours slowly watching the sun go down and boy and drink, it's and drinking more caesars and then you move beyond the caesars and then we go is, play is shuffleboard it, is it just one is it just one caesar I, f- I feel like that's about the limit. well i i mean we all have our limits right like caesar's not a drink you're pounding which i do enjoy them by the way i like, do too I come they're better than bloody and, mary's by the way okay, i hate okay. I, mean, I i kind of i kind of agree yeah um did it take you oh like when did when did you start liking bloody mary's and caesars like how how old are you were you like well into your thirties by the time that happened? Because I, I feel like that's a pretty recent development. For me. The Caesars uh, over bloody. It just became when I be- got into the hockey space. Like no, I, I was. Mean, I mean, period. I mean, period. Like I didn't. Li- I didn't like Bloody Mary's five. Oh years. no! Like I came out of the just womb. the, the like, general. Oh my, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Missed it. I don't know. Like took, that was my. It, I would like my. It, it, my, it my took that a while. was breakfast. But Caesars, I had to get over Clamato as a concept. The Clamato juice cause portion because it's, it's as a concept, it's disgusting. Uh, there, I remember the first time we were, I want to say in Vegas or something at an awards or some NHL, I was with hockey people and they're like, you have to, uh, and I, it was like, oh, let's get back on and let's get some, bloody, I got, got a Bloody Mary and it wasn't me. I don't remember who it was. And they were like, no, if you're going to be doing hockey stuff, you got to gotta have a Caesar. And I'm like, oh, why don't you tell me what's in it? Like, what's the difference? And it was, well, it's made with you know what? Clamato we're not, we're juice. Not, I'm not, like, we're not going to tell you that. <laughs> like, what's Clamato juice? And they're like. Just have it. Stop it. It took me a couple, and then now I'm a convert. Do I have to turn in my passport? So, no, like some version, whether whether it's a bloody or or, or a Caesar, that's like my that's like my airport trick now. I feel like, yeah. But in Mon- in Montreal, on the way out to continue my weekend of eating like a complete psychopath, I ate some airport poutine. Oh my god! While I was waiting, while so I was waiting for my flight. You're a wreck. And um, you, you know what I drank with it? A Budweiser. Good for you. They had, but they had a Bud bottle, and I figured I need to balance this out if I'm eating poutine in the in the Montreal airport after four days of whatever. I need some sort of. I need it. I need a gigantic domestic <laughs> beer that pretends to be made in in America when it isn't actually. I got a text from a colleague of ours as they were leaving Montreal at the airport, and the the text was, "My body is revolting," and then. I'm like, and then I, they just sent me a picture of a Bloody Mary that they had ordered at the the airport bar that was all done. And they're like, "Wait, what are you gonna do?" I think I have I have a couple guesses as, as to who as to who. I that, think you know who that was from. That from. All right, uh, Gen F says the correct pizza toppings are pepperoni and olives and green peppers. I'm okay. Not opposed to the banana peppers either. I don't know. You guys have a pizza argument. Missed you, Craig. Hey, Gen F. It wasn't no. I it wasn't an argument. Me you. and me and Craig. Me and Craig were or me and. Who? Marty, Marty doing that. Uh, what's his name again? Max. Me and him were kind of in agreement that pepperoni and banana peppers, I believe, are is a is a S tier pizza topping. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I'm a. Uh, don't like banana peppers. I love banana. So I'm a. I'm like a green olives, banana peppers, mm-hmm. uh, mushrooms, onions. I try not. I, I I'm trying. You know me. I don't want to eat pepperoni. 
You know, nitrates are on the carcinogens list in the United States. Good for good for me since I ate like none of those a half a half dozen of those completely <laughs> mediocre Bell Center hot dogs. Oh by the way, gosh. overrated thing on earth. Just toast. Everybody, calm down. Uh, I know. I almost I almost sent out a ma- company mandate to say, "Hey guys, <laughs> listen. You, you know what? You know it's what? Delayed, the ha- it's delayed enough to get sick. I think that does it for us here. I want to thank." <laughs> <laughs> Pierre Lebrun and Paul Maurice for joining the podcast. Producer Jeff for lining both of those up. Um, I, a couple, I'm sure the music's already been playing for hours now. So, but before I, I do want to promote Rob Pizzo, Sarah Sivian, and Jesse Granger. They're doing the Wednesday roundtable as they do. Um, are we doing the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts? I don't think we are. But Not this week, who somebody really good, much better than us, is doing it. And you can get all the bonus content from our entire network. It is us at Jeffist. It is us. I don't have time. Oh, no. oh gosh. <laughs> um, hey, good good news, everybody. Sean and I have been preparing for weeks, and it's you guys, us. You guys, you guys don't even know. It's gonna be oh, so cool. so good. You're it's our turn this week. So if you want to subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus and Apple Podcasts, you start a thirty day free trial with our episode that's coming up right now, or it's already published. Who knows? Then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, and only now, can you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $1? This will be running out. For six at, months. At date redacted, this 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 offer. <laughs> um, trust us. Next week is our season finale, maybe even the, the, the finale of me and Sean together. Why can, would you say something like this? I think it may be. I'm... I'm starting to suspect it was a good run. You got to know when to fold them, Sean. When to hold them. When to walk away and when to uh-huh. run. Next week, our American Awards that you, the listener, came up with all of them. So not too late to get in the comment section. Suggest some American Awards for our, our final episode of this wonderful season. And what a season it's been for the American Tuesday. Like just setting records. You guys are all the best unbelievable we're gonna go out on top folks i don't know i don't know we'll see i'm just tired um also hashtag oh just put in the hashtag because we i'm not just tuesday boys three z's three z's sean good to see you it's been so long i know good to see you back on zoom where we all belong this is so depressing we just had it we had it's, it was so it was, much it fun. Was, it was such a good few days. Now we're back to this bullshit again. All right. Thanks. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>